Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. If one were to ask who is the preeminent dreamer in the Hebrew Bible, most people would answer Joseph. In the book of Genesis, Joseph is identified as a dreamer. He presents to his brothers the dreams that will indicate his... uh, leadership over them and it is his dreams that get him into trouble and have him sent into Egypt and it is his dreams um, and his interpretation of dreams that saves him from Pharaoh's prison and it is the fulfillment of his dreams to Pharaoh dream interpretation to Pharaoh that gives him his position as the vizier the prime minister of Egypt. Yes, most people would think of Joseph as the dreamer, and certainly the Broadway show Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat make it clear that he is the dreamer. But before Joseph in the Hebrew Bible, there is another dreamer. There is an individual who has two dreams, very unlike Joseph, and that is Abraham's grandson, Jacob. While Joseph has dreams that are about um, authority and uh, the intersection between current events and the leadership of Rome and interpersonal life, Jacob's dreams are very different. Jacob's dreams are about God and human beings. Jacob's dreams are so important that after the second dream, Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and he becomes the progenitor of the tribes of Israel. And in fact, it is from Jacob's name change to Israel that the people of Israel derive their name. And so this morning, I want to chat with you a bit about Jacob's dreams. And many of you will know the first dream. And so let me read it to you from Genesis 28. Jacob went out from Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came upon the place and he tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took one of the stones of the place and placed it under his head and lay down on the, in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, God stood beside him and said, I am God, the God of Abraham, thy father and the God of Isaac. The land upon which thou liest, to thee will I give thee into thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, 
and will keep thee wherever thou goest and will bring thee back to this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely God is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how full of awe and fear is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Afterwards, Jacob named the place Beit El, which means, of course, the house of God. The classic Torah commentaries offer several interpretations of Jacob's ladder. According to Midrash Genesis Rabbah, the latter signified the exiles which the Jewish people would suffer before the coming of the Messiah. First, the angel representing the 70-year exile of Babylonia climbed up 70 rungs and then fell down. Then the angel representing the exile of Persia went up a number of steps and fell, as did the angel representing the exile of Greece. Only the fourth angel, which represents the final exile of Rome, kept climbing higher and higher into the clouds. Jacob feared that his children would never be free of Rome's domination. Rome is represented in rabbinic literature as his brother Esau. But God assured him that in the end of days, Rome would come falling down. Another Jewish interpretation of the latter keys into the fact that the angels first ascended and then descended, the opposite of what you would expect. The Midrash explains that Jacob, as a holy man, was always accompanied by angels. When he reached the border of the land of Canaan, the future land of Israel, the angels who were assigned to the Holy Land went back up to heavens, and the angels assigned to other lands came down to meet Jacob. When Jacob returned to Canaan, he was greeted by the angels who were assigned to the Holy Land. Yet another interpretation is as follows. The place at which Jacob stopped for the night was really... Mount Moriah, the future home of the temple in Jerusalem. The latter, therefore, signifies the bridge between heaven and earth. As prayers and sacrifice offered in the holy temple, soldiered a sold, connected, solidified a connection between God and the Jewish people. Moreover, the latter alludes to the giving of the Torah as another connection between heaven and earth. In this rabbinic interpretation, it is also significant that the Hebrew word for ladder, sulam, and the name for the mountain on which the Torah was given, Sinai, have the same numerical values of the letters. Sulam has three letters, Sinai has four letters, but the numerical value of the letters is equivalent. The Hellenistic Jewish philosopher Philo, born in Alexandria in the first century of the Common Era, presents his allegorical interpretation of the latter. There he gives four interpretations which are not mutually exclusive. 
The angels represent souls descending to and ascending from bodies. This may be his clearest understanding of reincarnation. The second interpretation of the latter is the human soul and the angels are God's logi, pulling the soul up in distress and descending in compassion. In the third view, the dream depicts the ups and downs of the life of virtue versus sin. And finally, the angels represent the continually changing nature of human beings. A hilltop overlooking the Israeli settlement of Beit El, north of Jerusalem today, that is believed by some to be the site of Jacob's dream as a tourist destination during the holiday of Sukkot. Now, this dream was so important, so powerful, that both Christianity and Islam have something to say about this dream. Jesus said in John 1.51, And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto him, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Many have interpreted this statement in John as associating or implicating Jesus with the mystical ladder in the Jacob story. In this interpretation, Jesus bridges the gap between heaven and earth, and Jesus represents, presents himself as the reality to which the latter points, as Jacob saw in a dream the reunion of heaven and earth. Jesus uh, brought this reunion. Adam Clark, an early 19th century Methodist theologian and Bible scholar, elaborates, that by the angels of God ascending and descending is to be understood that a perpetual intercourse should now be opened between heaven and earth through the medium of Jesus, who was God manifest in flesh. He writes, our blessed Lord is represented in this royal capacity as the ambassador of God to men, and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man is a metaphor taken from the custom of dispatching couriers or messengers from the prince to his ambassador in a foreign court and from the ambassador back to the prince. The theme of a ladder to heaven is often used by the early church fathers to describe the Christian church as the ladder of ascent to God. In the third century, Oregon explains that there are two ladders in the life of a Christian, the ascetic ladder that the soul climbs on the earth by way and resulting in increase in virtue, and the souls travel after death, climbing up the heavens towards the light of God. In the fourth century, Gregory of Nazareth speaks of ascending Jacob's ladder by successive steps towards excellence, interpreting the ladder as an ascetic path while St. Gregory of Nicaea narrates that Moses climbed up Jacob's ladder to reach the heavens where he entered the tabernacle not made with hands, thus giving the ladder a clear mystical meaning. The ascetic interpretation is also found in St. John, who writes, and so mounting as it were by steps, 
let us get to heaven by Jacob's ladder. For the ladder seems to me to be to signify in a riddle by that vision that gradually ascent by means of virtue, by which it is possible for us to ascend from heaven to earth, not using material steps, but improvement and correction of manners. You can see that even in Christianity, the ladder of Jacob, Jacob's ladder, Sulam Yaakov, is a powerful uh, metaphor for the connection between heaven and earth. Jacob, the dreamer, not only impacts on Judaism and Christianity, but also on Islam. Jacob is revered in Islam as a prophet and a patriarch. Muslim scholars, especially of the Perennialis tradition, drew a parallel with Jacob's vision of the latter and Muhammad's event of the mirage. The latter of Jacob was interpreted by Muslims to be one of the many symbols of God, and many saw Jacob's ladder as representing in its form the essence of Islam, which emphasizes following the straight path. The 20th century scholar Martin Lings described the significance of the ladder in the Islamic mystic perspective, also known as Sufi tradition. The ladder of the created universe is the ladder which appeared in a dream to Jacob, who saw it stretching from heaven to earth, with angels going up and down upon it. And it is also the straight path, for indeed the way of religion is none other than the way of creation itself, retraced from its end back to its origins." So you see, Jacob the dreamer, Jacob's ladder, is important to all three major traditions, all three monotheistic traditions. And it came to symbolize for all three traditions the connection between earth and heaven, as well, in many cases, the history of mankind, on which the states of the latter represent the succession, successive, succession of kingdoms that have ruled the world. But this, but this dream is not the only dream of Jacob, yes? Jacob had another dream. And though it is not often known as a dream. We accept it as a dream. We know the place and we know the story. We know some of the characters in this second dream. At first glance, it's not a dream. This story seems to be about solitude and prayer and struggle, and survival, and victory, and defeat. But as we take a look, a closer look, at this dream, 
we see that it is much more a mystery. A solitary man, an incandescent dream, a conflict, two brothers, two destinies, linked and separated by night. That's how Eli Wiesel describes it. A place somewhere in this distant land where today we call Jacob, Jordan, Jacob called Machanayim, the site where he divided his people into two groups so that if one were to perish, the other might survive. A man facing death, a man imagining his future. You know the story. You know that Jacob is on his way to meet Esau, to have some kind of reconciliation from their childhood. The Torah tells us that Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, was pondering and reviewing his situation. That was why he had chosen to leave the others and stay alone on this shore. He knew that his life was about to change, but not in what way did he know? At this moment, everything was still impossible. One word, one move would suffice for Jacob to remain Jacob. A self-examination that implies a questioning of his past. Jacob was worried, understandably so. Tomorrow he might die. His brother, whom he hadn't seen in 20 years, would not come to the appointment alone. He would be accompanied by at least 400 armed men. What would tomorrow be made of? Jacob was afraid. He had been fortunate all of his life. It could not go on indefinitely, not beyond this night. Tomorrow, it would be all over. Tomorrow, the debt would be paid. For every moment of happiness, for every gift of love received or given tomorrow, Jacob would submit to Esau, his brother, his nemesis, tomorrow. But the text tells us that the night had just begun. Jacob should try to find a solution. There had to be a way out. What if he were to begin praying? What if he armed himself for the fight? Or then again, what if he offered his brother a new gift? Even more beautiful than the others before, nobody is insensitive to gifts, he thought. In fact, had he the slightest understanding of practical matters, Jacob would have tried to rest. He should have tried to unwind, to sleep, to take advantage of the few hours that were left. Tomorrow, Jacob would need all of his energy all of his faculties. He should have taken care of himself. He did not. He could not. And from that moment, the Bible tells us what happened. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. Day is breaking, the assailant says. Let me go. Jacob refused, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The other demurred, they clutched each other once more. Theirs was an awesome fight, the text tells us, yet in the end they had to give up, neither being able to claim victory. Both were wounded. Jacob at the hip, 
the angel and his vanity. Yet they parted friends, or was it accomplices? Jacob accepted his aggressor's departure willingly. The latter, as if to thank him, made him a gift, a new name, which in generations to come would symbolize eternal struggle and endurance. In more than one land, during more than one night, Jacob would be called Yisrael. Let me reread the whole story to you again. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he wrenched Jacob's hip at its socket. He said, let me go for dawn is breaking. And Jacob answered, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, what is your name? And Jacob answered, Jacob. Whereupon the other said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have wrestled with God and have prevailed. Jacob then asked, pray, tell me your name. And he answered, why do you wish to know? And he blessed him. And Jacob named the site Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. A dream? Reality? Oh, we think a dream. It is almost like a mystical poem, barely coherent, barely intelligible, not only to the reader, but even to the protagonist. How else would we understand it as a dream? Why did the nocturnal visitor attack poor Jacob, whose very name he claimed not to know? Because he was Jewish? Or because he was alone and far from any inhabited place? And why was the stranger so intent in learning the identity of his victim? If he didn't know it, why not have inquired before assaulting him? And if he did not know, if he did know it, why did he ask? Or why would he not disclose his own identity to Jacob? Of the two, Jacob was the Jew. Yet it was the stranger who answered questions with questions, the very Jewish tradition, until he ran out of them and then he changed the subject and Jacob led him. And why would Jacob hold him back when logically he should have shouted with joy that he finally got rid of him? And how did the nocturnal visitor with the advent of dawn turn into God, according to Jacob? This is one of the most enigmatic episodes of Jacob's life, and even in Scripture, one that ended well for him since it brought him a new dimension, secret and sacred a dimension he seemed to need. Was it a dream? Was all of this a dream for Jacob the dreamer? Jacob is the least interesting of all the patriarchs. His life up until this moment lacked greatness. There was nothing exceptional about Jacob's problems, his preoccupations. Abraham had been the pioneer, the conqueror, the founder of a dynasty. Isaac had been the survivor of the attempt at sacrifice, the inspired poet. They both had a kind of charisma that Jacob evidently, evidently did not possess. Compared to his predecessors, Jacob seemed a personality of no real stature, with a mediocre, or at least commonplace destiny. Without this adventure... 
Without this metamorphosis, this dream at Pinael, he would have gone through history as a melodramatic and moving figures, but one lacking majesty and a sense of tragedy, a stranger to the events and conflicts of which legends and epic poems are made in spite of his first dream. The portrait as drawn in the Bible before this dream is striking in its pallor. It depicts a man straightforward but unimaginative, honest but anxious to avoid risks, an introverted, frustrated man given to fits of temper, leading a marginal life, a weakling manipulated by others. Even the angels manipulate him. Everyone made him do things and he obeyed. Such was his nature. Incapable of initiative, he could never make up his mind. His mother, Rebecca, gave him the idea of disguising himself as Esau to deceive his father in order to exact a blessing meant for another. He cried, but he obeyed. Uh, It was Rebecca who, once the act was played, advised him to go away and take refuge with his uncle Laban. Naturally, he promptly fell in love with the first girl he met, Rachel, and he wanted to marry her on the spot, but somehow he married his sister. Doubly unhappy, he loved someone he could not marry and was loved by someone he had married without love. He accepted life as it came, preferring to follow rather than to be followed. This is the man. This is the man who has the dream. Surely, everything about his life must have made him felt vulnerable on the defensive, ill at ease in his role, at fault with his father to whom he had lied, and with his brother to whom he had cheated, and with the entire world for which he was playing out a role. People were exploiting him. They were cheating him. They were using him. The more they hurt him, the more reassured he seemed. When the blows became too hard, he took refuge in dreams thus becoming the first dreamer in biblical history. Abraham had visions. Jacob had dreams. When one dreams, the world and its laws seem even better. When Jacob dreamed, he transcended himself and became sublimated. His dreams transformed him, taught him that life is a ladder and ladders lead up and down. Nobody ever remains in one place. No suffering lasts an eternity. Every error can be corrected and perhaps erased. These were easy dreams, dreams of consolation, neither demanding nor severe. God showed him. God showed him his charitable sight. Do not be afraid, Jacob. I shall remain with you. What did Jacob ask for? What did Jacob ask for in his dreams? Security. He was a dreamer. There was a person. The Midrash tells us that upon waking the morning after his first wedding, when he discovered Leah next to him, he could not stifle a complaint. All night I was calling you, Rachel, and you answered me. Why did you deceive me? This is the man who dreamed and whose dreams transformed him. That is why he's called the man who struggles with God, not simply because he wrestled with the angel, But he wrestled with himself, and through his wrestling, he came to transcend his very nature. He became the survivor. 
He became the progenitor of the people of Israel, the ultimate survivors in history. And that is why we praise Jacob. We read both his dreams in the Torah. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you a good day and shalom. Shalom.